are. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. The traditional text was the wise and foolish virgins ever be ready and live every day as if Christ is coming today. Almighty and everlasting God who has promised to us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, we beg you, direct us by your spirit, that we wait watchfully for the coming of your Son and with holy lives go forth to meet him. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, great to see you. Um, we'll have a couple of down, little more down weekends because people are traveling. That's okay. A um, couple of things. I had two things. I was telling myself at the end of the last service, I have two things I need to tell you. And I can only remember one of them right now, so maybe the other one will come back. Let's see. This will go to Africa. Africa? Russia. This will go to Russia. Today that goes to Russia, so that's good. Um, I'll send, uh, hey Betty, can you mark your name and then send that around too, please? Yeah. And here's the other one. Um, thanks again for giving generously to the school, you folk who have done that. Still a chance to do that, but that's a very kind thing you've done, so thank you very much. There's still envelopes around. Um, in two weeks, you know, if all things work well, in this hour we're going to have a field trip next door. Um, things are beginning to heat up. And just so you know, um, here's what we're going to try to do. You've seen, you know, over the years, you've seen all sorts of explanations and possibilities and sketches and floor plans. Um, we want to now, as, as we kind of move toward going next door, we want to try to keep you informed bit by bit, but we don't know, you know, everything that's going to happen out, you know, 15 or 20 weeks, but we will try to give you things bit by bit. So kind of the first step... Um, if you've been in there, you know that the floor is quite uneven and it needs to be fixed up tomorrow, I think, if all goes well. Uh, the new floor will be poured over the next couple of days. So that would be a good thing. Um, two weeks from today in the Bible study hour, instead of having a Bible study hour, we're just going to walk next door for a little field trip. Why would we do that? Because um, we want you to hear what the acoustics will sound like. So Jonathan, uh, you know, Jonathan had surgery on his uh, shoulder uh, Apparently, there were contact drills in choir, and Jonathan got on the wrong side of a big pileup. So, <laughs> tore his labrum, and they had to put screws in his bone. I mean, how does the how does a choir director have to have you know like it's this is like major league pitcher kind of stuff? Like you're snapping off too many curveballs, you have to have this done. Or, but I don't know, Jonathan. Yeah, he said he directs above his head. That's right. He'll never be able to direct above his head again. That's right. That's right. Just like pitching. There you go. So, Jonathan is on the disabled list right now. Uh, but, but what we're going to do is put the choir and I think some brass up in the balcony and just let you hear what it sounds like, for example, when there's not carpet on the floors or when everything is hard. Um, there have been a few experiments and it's been fun. So this is just to get you kind of thinking. And then in the, what we'll do in the, in, the, um, in the following weeks, we'll give you kind of piece by piece what's happening. We'll give you a description of the altar, we'll give you a description of the font, we'll give you a description of whatever, whatever the next thing that's sort of been pieced together. Uh, and you should feel free to get back to me about any of that stuff if you want to know stuff, but kind of as things happen. But the first thing that happens is the shell, the floor goes in, and we just want to go over just for the fun of it and hear what it sounds like. So two weeks from today at Bible study hour, um, Martha, help me remember we have to put something in the bulletin about that, okay, wherever you have to be sitting, okay? Uh, I got something else cooking, but I can't for the life of me remember what it is. So I just uh, it'll I marked it down, but I can't remember what it is. It'll it'll come. Okay. Uh, questions about anything? 
Okay. Um, remember that there's Thanksgiving services here on Wednesday and Thursday, both with the Eucharist. And if you could be generous as you bring food for other people, that would be a nice thing. I know many of you are stretched, and you know if you're stretched, you know that's fine. But for those of you who still are well blessed, if you could remember to bring food, and especially help Carol Holter and that whole gang, um, you make Christmas for other people. It's just a very nice thing that this congregation does, and we're really good at it. We have a really good reputation in the community for doing this, and we we handle a lot of families. If we go to 175 this year, that'll be a tremendous amount of people. So please, um, please be generous as you do that. Now. Um, you know, it's no secret we've had a little bit of struggle here in the past months, year. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things you can do when you come to struggle. You can sort of, you know, you know, curl up in a ball and just hope for something better. You can actually kind of get busy. Um, we've tried to be intentional in the sermons the past couple of months. Uh, when the young guys preached, you know, the, the last page of each sermon was toward a very practical way of engaging each other. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You know, it's the thing of not too heavy, not too light. We're trying, everybody's trying to, everybody's trying, everybody's hearing things differently, everybody's seeing things differently. Um, so how do we practically go forward? And you notice the title of this was Practical Mercies, um, but, but how justice and mercy work together. And so um, we've been looking at text. Now, um, some folks have, have sort of said, you know, a little faster. Some folks have said a little slower. Some people have said a little more practical. Some people have said, you know, you know, you're doing fine. Uh, we're all going to hear it different. We're all, you know, a little tender. I understand that. But, you know, you can only have that for a season. At some point, you need to push forward and um, give each other the benefit of the doubt and be kind and remember that we're all Christ's body and go to the Eucharist and talk calmly and realize um, that it takes some time to, it takes some time to, you know, work it out, but you've got to work it out. So, um, what we're going to do today, I did in women's Bible study a week ago Friday. We'll put that right there. Who's doing this today? Carol Holter, are you doing this? Okay, there you go. Um, we did this a week ago Friday at women's Bible study. For, so some of you may have heard this before, but I warned them in case they wanted to go to Starbucks instead. So uh, on Friday morning, if any of you women want to come, we've been doing the Psalms, just kind of favorite Psalms. But there was this one that stood out as um, actually engaging the topics of justice and mercy and how, how, how folks live together in Christ. So Psalm 103, can you find that, please, in your own Bibles? <clears throat> when I read the Psalms, I, in my own devotions every day, I use the New English Bible cause, just because I like it. It's comfort. Um, it's a quirky kind of translation that came out, you know, 50 years ago, but it's, it's very gentle, and it's kind of, it's very rhythmic, and it just, it has a great feel about it. So as I read to you, it's probably not going to sound like yours, which is okay, whatever you've got. And we're going to play with the text a little bit and see that. But um, So when I'm reading this, you'll think that maybe doesn't sound like what you've heard before, but it actually is a very, it's a very kind translation. Now, um, the psalm comes in three parts, and we're going to primarily look at the middle part. You probably have a break uh, in your... In your own scriptures, you probably have verse 1 that it then is explained by verses 1 through 5. So 1 through 5 are probably a section in your Bible. And then 6 through 18 is probably a second section. And then 19 through uh, 22 is probably another section. Does, that, does your Bible look that way? Do you have a little break in the paragraph? Is that how it works? 
Okay, we're going to just look at the second section of this psalm. The other parts are fine, but they're not specific to uh, what exactly we're doing. So let me just read it to you first, the way I've got it. And you can note where you have different words. And actually, we're going to kind of tally up some of the different words. So just kind of stick with it. Um, I will just read the first line. Bless the Lord, my soul. My innermost heart, bless his holy name. So this is all about, you might ask yourself why the Lord needs to be blessed. And of course, this word can be translated in different ways. Praise the Lord, or confess the Lord, or speak well of the Lord, or remember what the Lord has done. It's kind of all bundled up together. So, like many of the psalms, sometimes the psalms let you moan first, but often you'll also find psalms where you talk first about God. Sometimes they're first about you, sometimes first about God. It's okay. This one is first about God, although you will notice that it's an interior thing. This is a guy saying his prayers in the morning. So he's talking to himself, you know. Hey, I mean, he's talking, he's talking internally. This is autobiographical in some sense. So he's telling himself what he should be doing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. My innermost heart, bless his holy name. So that's a Hebrew way of saying when he talks about his heart and his soul, he's talking about the whole person. It's how you feel and how you think, how you engage the world. So he wants to bring everything he is to bear in this way. Now, verse 5. The Lord is righteous in his acts. He brings justice to all who have been wronged. He taught Moses to know his way, and he showed the Israelites what he could do. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, long-suffering and forever constant. He will not always be the accuser or nurse his anger for all time. He has not treated us as our sins deserve or requited us for our misdeeds. For as the heaven stands high above the earth, so his strong love stands high over all who fear him. Far as east is from the west, so far he put our offenses away from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord compassion on all who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He knows full well that we are dust. Man's days are like grass. He blossoms like the flowers of the field. A wind passes over them. They cease to be, and the place knows them no more. But the Lord's love never fails those who fear him. His righteousness never fails their sons and their grandsons who listen to his voice and keep his covenant and remember his commandments and obey them. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you, sometimes when I read the Psalms the first time through, uh, you know, they don't, there's too much gloss and I don't, I, maybe as much doesn't come out, but the longer you read them, more and more, uh, the longer you read them. You remember in the monastery, the old rule was the Psalms in a month and the scriptures in a year. So everybody would say four or five Psalms a day, and pretty soon they become the rhythm of your life. So I just start at point number one by saying, um, the choice is becoming clearer and clearer. Do you want to be a justice person or a mercy person? So we haven't sort of put it to you that starkly yet, but it's clearly where we've been going from the beginning. There are people who seek justice, and for them, the justice is the byword. Justice is the preeminent thing. And there are also people who are mercy people. 
uh, and for them, mercy is the preeminent thing. Now, I want to say this very clearly, and I want to say it first off, because often when I speak about these things, I'm misunderstood. So I want to say very clearly that justice is a good and holy thing, and mercy is also a good and holy thing. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that justice is bad and mercy is good, or mercy is bad and justice is good. I want to start by saying, and I'm going to say it again, but I just want to say it up front so you don't get the wrong idea. Justice is good, holy, and righteous. Mercy is good, holy, and righteous. But how those things are applied to us, how God uses those things, and then, frankly, how we use those things in regard to each other makes all the difference in the world. I just, wanna, I, just, I just want you to understand, I'm not playing a bad thing off against a good thing. I'm saying these are good things, but how they use them, you know, how we use them, that's what we have to figure out. Um, you could probably guess, if you guess which way I'm pushing you, where am I pushing you, toward justice or mercy? Which way am I pushing you? Yeah, I'm pushing you toward mercy, of course. But doesn't that raise some questions for you right away? Oh, thank you very much. Non-planted, but immediate. Thank you very much. Uh, what's your immediate question? Go ahead. Uh, good. We have to hold that out there. Yes, can we, can we be both? Uh, we'll have to see. So let me, let's just take one side of your question, okay? Thank you very much. Can we be both? If people are always merciful and all they know is mercy, how does that make you feel? So let me give you an example. Somebody says something very bad about you, or somebody punches you in the nose, or you get a parking ticket in Chicago that you don't deserve, or just think about if they're, or, or if you have kids. If you think about kids, if you're always merciful to your kids, which means there's, in some sense, what could that mean? There'd never be discipline or never be rules. Or how, does, how does that feel to you? You know, what happens? <laughs> Perfect. We're right where we want to be. So we got, we need to have some rules or the world's going to hell. Well, she's a both kind of person. We've always noticed that Carol has the answer well in advance of us, you see. We have to, so that's good. That's good. I know you're raised because your dad's a pastor. I know that. I know. Nothing to do with it? Oh, I'm, uh, I think you might have learned a thing or two from him. He seemed like a pretty smart guy. You gave me some of his sermons. Um, but let's say, let's, say, let's say you're in a business transaction and you know, somebody stiffs you for $100,000. And you go to court and the, guy sa- the, the judge says... Don't you have bigger fish to fry? <laughs> How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? Angry. Angry? Good. Good. Keep going. This is not going to be a big enough board. 
All right, this is going to be, that's okay. All right, we'll, but we'll just, we'll just uh, I don't know, we'll figure this out. So, uh, okay, good. Angry is, is good. How else do you feel? Yes, it's utterly unfair. How else? What? It does seem very unjust. Because what does justice mean? Normally when you think about justice, what, what do you think about? Ah, there you go, boy. That's perfect. So it's about, this is get what you deserve. I deserve my money back is what I deserve, okay? Yes, that a way. Way to push it right to the point of what we really want, which is a little bit of vengeance, okay? Then, how do you spell that, Fred? How do you spell? E-A? E-A. I can never spell bureaucracy either. Even when I type it, I can't spell it. So vengeance, okay, good. What else? Or this can also be spoken of as revenge, right? Which is, um, revenge goes to not only squaring things up, but what do you want for the other person? Sorry? I have a little bit of suffering, good, yes, right. Make them suffer, okay? You want to make them suffer a little bit. Okay. I know that this has never happened to any of you. It's completely theoretical. Um, so what normally happens then is some, some evil thing happens, right? Some evil things happens, and then you get this response. That's your normal response. It can be your normal response. Sorry, Betty. So I just, let's just, let's just hold that for a second. And, and you know, um, I just want to, I just want to, uh, well, let's just look at, look at verse 5. The Lord is righteous in all his acts. So here's the thing. Let's start with the Lord. That's always a good thing. So the Lord is the Lord. And that's big letters. It's always, that's the Lord who makes covenants. And you, know, you remember in the scriptures that when you break a covenant, that's really bad. You remember how they made a covenant? They'd take a, they'd take a cow and they'd slice him right in half. This is in Genesis 12. And the cow would be like on the three stooges where it falls like, you know, like this. And then you walk between it and you say, if I break the terms of this covenant... You can do to me exactly what you just did to this ox. Which means you invite the Lord. I've, I've often thought that when people say, one person says X and one person says Y. I've actually thought, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. I wonder if it'd be just, and then you get sort of this he said, she said. I wonder, you know, the way to cure that would be to say, you say X and I say Y. Okay, let's pray together that the Lord will curse the one of us who is wrong. Just curious whether we could try that as... An alternate to AOR, perhaps. <laughs> Just loosening you up a little bit, okay? Just seeing if you're still okay, paying attention. Because, you know, the thing is, is that might sort out whether or not people... I mean, you should be, if you're telling the truth, I, I just... I just I, this is the ultimate extension of making things fair. Okay, you're so sure you're right. Here's what we can agree on. We'll pray God to curse the one of us who's got it wrong. I'm just curious. Okay, so um, there's the Lord, and what the Lord wants, what, what the Lord wants most of all uh, is, is righteousness. And that's a good word. To be righteous or, or righteousness, that's what the Lord is doing. So, here it is right here. The Lord is righteous in all his acts. Now, you're going to have to do something with that. He's righteous in all of his acts. So that means he's righteous when... He smothers Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. 
He's righteous when he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. He's righteous when he puts Jesus on the cross. And he's righteous when he gives you the Eucharist this morning. And those all have a very different feel. Okay, so if, it's, if you take the text at face value, he's righteous in all his acts. Okay. He brings justice to all of those who have been wronged. Okay, now you got out ahead of the deal a little bit, and my board is squished. But this is what it is to be wronged. Just use evil as the catchword for being wronged. Just presume evil. Evil is something that goes wrong. And you told me already how evil makes you feel. It makes you feel like this. Okay. Is your practical response? You're angry. You're mad. You feel cheated. You want revenge. Somebody punches you in the nose. You want to punch them in the nose back. Somebody says a lie about you. You want to lie back. Alternately, somebody says a lie about you. You want to point by point straighten them out. You know. Any iteration of that. That's what you want. Now here's what the Lord does. All of His acts are righteous. Some of his acts are in the way of justice. That's what the text says. Okay? The Lord is righteous in all his acts. He brings justice to all who have been wronged. Okay? He taught Moses to know his way, and he showed the Israelites what he could do. Now, I don't know if that means... He showed the Israelites what he could do to Pharaoh, or he showed the Israelites what he could do to them. Right? But he showed them what he could do. There is text in the, in the scriptures, we'll look at some of them, that tells that the Lord gets extraordinarily angry when people do evil. When you do evil, when I do evil, when Pharaoh does evil to the Israelites, when the Israelites do evil to the Lord. Anger is the result. And I'm sure that many of you have felt that over the past year or two. You've felt like you've been on all sides of all things. People have felt like, hey, I was wronged, and I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to square this up one way or another. Well, one way you can do that uh, is justice. Okay, That's one way you can do it. And it's one way that the Lord does things. Now just tuck this away. We may have to ask a question later about the difference between you and the Lord. So just kind of hold that for a while, okay? Uh, lest you move too quickly into being the Lord's man or woman and executing his judgment just the way you think that he might want it executed. All right? Just be careful. He taught Moses to know his way, and he showed the Israelites, you know, what he could do. Okay, now, whether you realize it or not, we're all the way through the first page. I'm all the way down to point, almost to point, I'm through point four, okay? And actually even into point five. Um, Yeah, the sad thing is I'm going to get you all stirred up and never get you to the gospel today. I can feel this coming because there's only 15 minutes left. Let me ask you about... uh, I'm at, at look at point five. Beyond evil, presume anger. Evil provokes us to react. 
in anger, rage, revenge, and wrath. I just put the codicil there, though we're not forced to react that way. And there is such a thing as righteous anger. Psalm 4, be angry, but do not sin. So I want to ask two questions, and I know I'm not going to get through. I can already feel this coming. So with three minutes to go, I'm going to stop and give you the bright side of this, but it's going to be a little dark going into this now. Um, Let me do the shelf life of anger first. Women who are in the Friday morning Bible study, just, just hold back for just a second, see if the rest of the folks can get it. How long does the scripture allow you to be angry? Now, I've given you the text, we can, and we can look at the rest of the text. I intentionally only gave you five words. The text says, Psalm 4, was it 10 or 4? Psalm 4, 4 says, be angry but do not sin. So that means there is something, there's something like righteous anger. Okay? So if, if, if I tell you or somebody else tells you you can never be angry, that's not true. The text says you actually can be angry. Just as be angry but don't sin. Now I'm going to ask you, my question is, how is it that you can be angry but not sin? So my first diagnostic question is, how long can you be angry, according to the scriptures? How long? So you got about 12 hours. Okay. Now, I know many of you are done with your anger before that, and I can't imagine that any of you have ever kept anger overnight. Because okay. if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're mad at somebody... This has never happened to you, right? Yeah, because you take Ambien. So, you know, <laughs> if you wake up because you can't, you know, you can't, you know. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you're angry at somebody, you've already crossed the threshold of righteous anger. You get about a day, okay? Now, there is the question about what happens if your husband makes you mad at dinner, for example. Do you get to carry over to the next day, or do you just get the four hours till dark, or, you know, you work it out for yourself. You roughly get 12 to 14 hours to be angry. That's what the Lord gives you. That's your outside stretch, okay? So the first thing about righteous anger is it has a time limit. Um, Pastor Gaining was kind enough to point out to me this morning as we were talking about this, um, if you've been to private confession, the last thing, almost the last thing that's said to you is, Sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name. That's how this psalm started. Remember, bless the Lord, praise his name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Okay, now that should be a clue going toward next week and how we're going to talk about this. His anger lasts only a moment, Psalm 30, 4 and 5. His anger lasts only a moment. So the first mistake that we make is to cultivate our anger. If you heard Dr. Kleinig speak, I mean... There's three guys in the world like Kleinig. But when he was here talking to us, do you remember what he said about anger? Do you remember what he said what people do with their anger when it really goes bad? Anybody remember this? Anybody can you remember? How he talked about how anger builds and builds. How did he describe it? Do you remember? He said people replay this. He said they replay this like a video in an endless loop. And it just keeps going and going. And then he said as it goes, it grows. Because you get it, it gets farther and farther out of bounds. And then eventually, anger that's nursed becomes all-consuming. And in fact, and so here's the second thing, an anger that's nursed beyond about a day stops having any relation to reality. 
One of the things um, that I talked about with the AOR guys, and I got a lot of time, and I think many of you got a lot of time, but one of the things that we talked about is when people don't use a Matthew 18 thing fairly soon, if you wait a month, three months, six months, a year, the honest-to-God truth is nobody can remember what happened. I don't know if you've ever had this. Have you ever had a family fight where somebody's mad about what happened three Christmases ago, but nobody can really remember what that is? Yeah, that doesn't happen in your families. Okay, I just was curious. I, I should save that example for some other church, apparently. So, uh, but sometimes people get angry, and they can't even remember what they're angry about. And when they describe what they're angry about, nobody even recognizes that as whatever really happened. It is really, it's hard enough on the first day to figure out what happened. A year later, two years later, nobody can remember what happened. And when, that, when nobody can remember what happened, then the chances to get things resolved, unless everybody's just going to throw up their hands and say, fresh start, is very, very difficult. So there is such a thing as righteous anger, but it has a shelf life, as I put on the sheet, roughly the length of manna. You remember what happened when they gathered up manna in the morning, and then some people got greedy, and they wanted more manna? They could, what happened the next day? Do you remember? Yeah, it was full of worms, right? Which is exactly what happens with your anger. I've never known... I don't know that I could point a finger at anybody I've ever known who um, can be righteously angry, and I don't, uh, in, I've never invoked this myself because I don't think I'm capable of it. I've known very few people who can really, I, well, I've, no, 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 I've known nobody. I've known nobody in my whole life that I could say they're really good at righteous anger. That is, their anger is so pure that it's properly focused and properly timed. So I know the scripture says you can have it. If you have it, you're better than I am. Go ahead and have it. Just remember that you have it underneath the auspices of scripture. Um, I think the rest of Psalm 4, I didn't quote for you, but actually <laughs> talks about this. 4.4 uh, four is, However angry your hearts do not do wrong, though you lie abed resentful, do not break silence. Can somebody, that's not a very good translation. Somebody else got a better translation? Can somebody read that? Psalm 4 4. Anybody got it? An NIV or maybe a better, better translation? This is too poetic. However angry your hearts don't do wrong. It says, be angry but don't sin. What do you got, Val? Uh, in your anger, do not sin. So, in your anger, in your anger, do not sin. So there is such a thing as righteous anger. If you're, in, if you're on your bed, search your heart and be silent. You know, Which means something like get an objective look at your anger, but also the clicker's already run out, so what are you going to do with that? At some point, your anger needs to. So I just want to caution you about the notion of moving from evil to anger and nursing that along as if you can just keep doing it. It will destroy you. I think I put it in here someplace. Um, you know, to be angry at people... To be angry at people and think that will have an effect at some point is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Okay? You can be as angry as you want at people. It's only going to kill you. So at some point, there's a reason. Anger can bring clarity. Anger can. This is really important. There's, and this is sort of a third thing then. Anger can tell you what you love. If someone hurts your child, you grow very angry and you realize how dear your child is to you. That's a good thing. 
it reminds you, it was a little bit like the AOR thing when they talked about fear. They talked about fear, proper kind of fear tells you what you love. Proper anger tells you what you love too, it tells you about yourself. But to be nursed beyond boundaries and to consume people, to consume ourselves, um, is not so good. I will just say on the other side, you'll notice in Matthew 18, if you go back and read that, there actually is no shelf life of Matthew 18. Um, some people feel like, you know, at 8 o'clock I should go to Woolrob and say, you really, you know, you really hurt me. And then at noon I come back with Mr. Lee and say, see what a jerk he is. And then at 5 I call the elders for an emergency excommunication. <laughs> you know, that's not how Matthew 18 works. Matthew 18 works as a process of you're going, you're going, you're going, you work some time, you're going, you let the anger get run out of the situation, you're going, you work for clarity with the Ten Commandments, you're going. You might need to get some help a month or two or six months. You go, you go, you go. To excommunicate a person to take the sacrament from them is really, you've got to be way down the line, and you've got to know exactly what you're doing. So it's interesting. On the justice side, on the anger side, there's a very short time limit. It's very tightly framed, and even the Lord himself doesn't stay angry very long. His anger lasts only a moment. But on the mercy side, there isn't a time limit. On the reconciliation time, there isn't a time limit, which also tells you how taxing reconciliation can be. You can't get it all done in a day. One of the problems of feeding a lot of anger into any situation um, is that it takes so long to work out. You know, I always, I've told you this before. I always tell my kids, don't add to the evil in the world. There's enough evil already. But the more evil you put into a situation, it has a natural way of working it out. I was training emails this week with Bev Yonke, who's a psychologist up in Milwaukee, who does a ton of work for Senate, because I'd been in a lecture. Um, and I've sort of been thinking about this idea that people don't come to church to be irritated. And I, was in a, I, I heard her give a lecture where she said, she, it's, a, it's, a, it's from an emotional intelligence site, and it's, it's not for churches. But basically, whenever people witness a trauma, there's some percentage of people, and she had the percentage, like 24, 28%, who won't return to the same place once they've witnessed it. Right? Uh, so I'll just be real honest. When people witness a bad voters meeting, you don't have to say, why don't people come back? It's just hardwired across all categories. People just don't return to a place where there's anger and evil. They just won't. They just don't. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's natural human response. And it's documented outside the church. And I wrote her because I was curious about that, and she's a psychologist. She deals a lot with people inside and outside the church. The point of all that is to say, this is a very short stop, okay? This is a very short stop. Yes, we recognize evil. Yes, we recognize anger. Yes, anger is a righteous thing. Yes... Anger can be a good thing because it tells us what we value. But if you stop here, it will destroy you. Okay? Now, we're only just about a verse in. I want to get to you uh, to something that's a little more hopeful. <laughs> because I want you to kind of look at this, and if you could ponder this psalm over the next week. I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen in the rest of this psalm, and you can go home and test it. And I'm going to tell you that because I don't want you to go home completely bummed out, okay? So here's what happens. The Lord's righteousness can appear as justice. The Lord's righteousness can also appear as mercy. 
So we're on the last Sunday of the church here. I'll just give you this as the ultimate example. When Christ in art returns on clouds, this is very common, especially in medieval art, but it's very common when you see paintings of the last judgment. Jesus comes back, and in one hand he has a sword. That's the justice side. He's angry, and he's going to clean it up. And in the other hand, he has a a lily or a flower. And that's the mercy side, which is, and you can have your choice. He comes to you, and if you won't have the flower, then he chops your head off. That's not what he wants. And this is extraordinarily important, too. His default is mercy. What the Lord would like to do, he wants to express his righteousness towards you in mercy. The ultimate example of that is when Christ faces justice on the cross, and then he gives you that, his righteousness is mercy. Okay. Now we're going to, this is all in the psalm, we're going to go a little bit, but there's two more steps to this. So there's five steps in this. This is one, evil. Two is your reaction to evil. Three is your cry out for righteousness. The last one, five, is hope for the future. That you can be reconciled. And the Lord, when he talks about um, how uh, the heavens and the earth stand above and he sweeps away far as these, and he knows how we're made, and especially verse 17, the Lord's love never fails. So then there's a fourth step, and we'll, we'll look at this next week. But the fourth step looks something like, I've just labeled it growth. Um, 60 seconds, but we'll just play free association. When you hear, or let me just ask you this, how are some ways that the scriptures describe your growth? It uses very graphic metaphors in the scriptures. How does the scriptures talk about your growth? How, just, just, how does it talk about it? Vines. As seeds that grow, good. Keep going. Vines. As vines that give, have branches and, and flourish. Yes, okay, how else? Fruit. As fruit that grows. Now, there's some, there's some that are more painful. Give me the more painful ones. Labor. As labor, as growing up into something. Work like crazy. The epistle for today. Work at doing good. Pruning is another one. That's painful too. Keep going. They're even more graphic than that. Suffering, but the, well, how did, sorry? As fertilizer. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll dig and put some manure around it. So it depends on what part of Iowa you're from, whether you welcome that. Uh, keep going, but how else? Yes, burned in the fire. Purified as by fire, right? Uh, we want to talk about that next week, but growth in the scriptures is, it can be this normal rhythm of growing. Put some manure around it, things kind of grow up. It can also be seen as trimming, but more, it can be seen as milk to meat. So you kind of think of yourself as being a child and then an adolescent and then growing up. And adolescence can be hard, and sometimes being a baby can be hard. But it's also, I'll just press you, purified as by fire. That is an extraordinarily painful thing. And even, I'll press you, and we'll talk about this next week a little bit, to St. Stephen in Acts 6, where he becomes a martyr for the faith where he actually dies for what he believes, and by that he becomes martyr is the Greek word for witness. It's not, the mar- it's not the technical word for somebody who dies. It's the technical word for somebody who tells about Jesus. Okay? And this, I think, is where we have, we have people who are here. I urge you to move on if you're there, and the way that you do that is the physical touch of Jesus. You touch his righteousness, and this disappears. But we have, I think that the majority of people are right here, and they're feeling it in all different ways. For some people who've been around a long time, maybe they're older, they've seen a bit more, 
this kind of normal growth. For some people who, you know, are kind of maybe younger, we've had a lot of 20s and 30s who are kind of, you know, maybe in their adolescence as Christians and are, are really kind of having to grow through something. But for some people, it's been purification as by fire. It's been extraordinarily painful. The important thing is that your pain moves you toward the hope that the Lord love, Lord's love lasts forever. So I, I just kind of only gotten to do this part in any detail. We'll talk about this side. But what I want to push you is out of the anger in this endless loop. And frankly, your endless loop actually needs to be over here, where you just keep touching the gifts of Christ. You go to the Eucharist. You say your prayers. You read your text. You go to the divine service. You speak kindly. You work at it. You understand its purification. You understand that it's going to be painful. You understand that each of us have things that need to be snipped off. Because if we don't change, the same thing will happen to us again. When people say they don't want to change, that means you're going to get the same result two years, five years, ten years. We all have to change. We have to leave behind. We'll never be the same again. We will never be the same. But we have the possibility to be better. If we're the same, the same thing will happen two, five, ten years from now. It's extraordinarily important that we change, that we're different people, so that two, five, ten years from now, we get a different result in your own lives, in our lives together, in your life as Christians. And that's an extraordinarily hopeful thing because this part of the psalm begins and ends with the Lord is righteous in all his acts. He remembers us and he teaches us the Lord's love never fails those who fear him. Okay? So it's this kind of five steps. Boom, 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 boom. What you want to do is push to five. Okay? So we'll talk about that a little more next week. I know some of you are traveling, but take this. You can look at it. It's always fair game. Um, but I want to urge you in the most practical sense to err on the side of mercy. We'll talk more about justice and mercy next week, but err on the side of mercy. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.